one 9646 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca anytime through email. We'll get to an amazing tool called the Injury Calculator in just a bit. But we like to start our shows each week with the uh, the week that was some stuff that's come across your desk and you're working on in the firm's event. So uh, what's, uh, what is going on? Well, John, we've had a pretty busy week, but some interesting cases that came across my desk. So let's talk about mm-hmm. uh, an email that I received from um, the um, from an individual who uh, posted a question on mydisabilityquestions.com, which is a free site for people out there who yep. haven't used it and haven't seen it or heard of it. Uh, if you're in long-term disability, you know someone who is, you can go on it on the site, mydisabilityquestions.com, post your question, and I will answer it generally within minutes. It's free, it's anonymous, etc. So this gentleman uh, writes... Uh, If my employer has terminated my employment and has sent me severance while on LTD, is the disability insurance company required to still pay me monthly until my benefit period is up? Or does it stop as my employment has stopped and I receive severance? So a bit convoluted, but you see how the word employment there, I bet you, John, you thought you were on the employment hour for a few minutes, right? So again, a lot of people who contact us have issues not just with long-term disability, but with the second part of the equation, which is employment. In this case, this gentleman is on LTD, on long-term disability, presumably because there's an illness or an injury, mm-hmm. and their uh, employer, his employer, has let him go. So other than the fact that we're potentially dealing with severance issues and poten- potential human rights damages, yeah. which Lior talks about, uh, you know, the question becomes what happens with the LTD payments when you receive severance? And we've talked about this for the past uh, few shows, John, because the, this issue keeps coming up. You know, you're let go, you get severance, it's negotiated, your insurance company gets wind of that and says, John, you just received severance, that's equal 12 months pay, so we are not going to pay you LTD for the next 12 months. Right. Are they allowed to do that? In some instances, yes. In some instances, no. It depends on what your LTD policy says. If your LTD policy contains a provision that entitles the insurance company to get a credit for other sources of income, including severance, and it has to be specific to that, uh, to say that, then yes, the insurance company is entitled to that. And what they will often do is they'll say they'll calculate, they'll figure out, you know, how much severance have you received? What does that equal to in terms of LTD payments and months? And so they'll tell you, we will restart your LTD, assuming you still qualify, once that severance ends. Also, oh, the LTD is on hold. It is on hold. Okay. But, but here's the thing. And again, we have, we've seen this in many cases where, remember, you're in a situation where you have an illness or an injury. You've been let go. Again, Lior talks about that. Maybe there's human rights damages. So maybe your severance is worth, I don't know, $20,000. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's not really $20,000 for severance. Maybe it's $10,000 for actual severance and $10,000 for human rights damages. Well, guess what? The LTD insurer is not entitled to deduct the human rights damages. So instead of now waiting for a full year to restart your LTD payments, they may be able, you may be able to get them to start the the LTD within six months. So you see, there is an interplay there and people who don't seek legal advice on both fronts risk not getting LTD for much longer than otherwise they would have had to uh, have it happen to them. So if you're in that situation, or you know someone in that situation, have them give me a call or email me and I'll, I'll literally have them, you know, I'll, I'll assess their case and talk to them for a few minutes and cool. tell them if the LTD insurer is allowed to do what they're doing or not. And many times the LTD insurer is overreaching and they're not allowed to do that, which means that the person can push back and keep that money in their pockets. What else you got going on? All right, well, here's another interesting one. So 
this is coming from uh, Richard in Ajax, and he called on behalf of his girlfriend. There was an incident that happened with her in June 2016. His girlfriend was bitten by a dog while she was walking by her super's door, and the dog ran out and attacked her, attacked her arm. Uh, apparently he dragged her to the floor. It was pretty nasty. She went to hospital. She was told that her arm was infected, uh, unable to use her arm for a, for a while. She had uh, to get antibiotics uh, through, through an IV, developed carpal tunnel. You know, we're talking about fairly significant injuries because of this dog bite. And this happens. I remember, John, I don't know if you remember, but a year or two ago, it was all over the newspapers. There were dog uh, attack incidents. Like every week. Exactly, no. across the country. Uh, and, and so this does happen. And what happens if you are attacked by a dog? Is there liability? Is there fault uh, as against the owner of the dog? How do you deal with that kind of a claim? You know, it's not a simple slip and fall case. Well, yeah. there is uh, legislation that's called uh, the Dog Owners Liability Act in Ontario. You can Google that. And under Section 2 of that act, it states liability of owner. And I'll read that to you. The owner of a dog is liable for damages resulting from a bite or attack by the dog on another person or domestic animal. Now, here's the interesting part. When you slip and fall or you have a car accident, Mm -hmm. you have to prove that whoever caused the accident or whoever failed to maintain the area where you slipped and fell is at fault. You have the onus of proving it legally. In this case, this legislation says that that person who owns the dog is automatically responsible. We call that, we call that strict liability. In other words, the only thing the case is really about is damages. Right. What is the extent of damages? So it, it, it's it's easier to deal with. So if you've been in that situation and you need some help and you want to know how to navigate the system, again, call me or, or email me and I'll let you know. And then you at least you know what your options are and you can proceed from there for compensation. Lots more coming up. one 990 Again, If you have any and haven't been answered during the show hours, you can uh, lay them on there. And Savannah answers those quite quickly. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get through some emails as the show progresses today as well. See Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. The injury calculator at injurycalculator.ca. We'll get to that in uh, in just a little bit, and we'll also cover fightformyltd.com. Both those websites, as we sit here and chat, you can check out uh, at your own leisure. What else? Uh, what else is going on today, pal? Well, here's an LTD case, a long term disability case. Uh, we've been contacted by Ambrose from Barry, and uh, Ambrose was um, uh, cut off uh, short term disability. Um, declined because of lack of appropriate treatment. So apparently Ambrose wasn't attending treatment. Now, here's here's a twist. When we spoke with Ambrose, he said that he was supposed to be going to physio, but he couldn't afford it, so he couldn't go. His physio clinic requires him to pay upfront, and then he will be reimbursed, but he didn't have the money to pay upfront. So you see, it's a catch-22. What does he do? Uh, and, you know, the problem is that he's unable to work because of a back injury and a bulging disc. His family doctor, other people that he's seen, everyone says he cannot work. He needs those treatments, but he can't pay for those treatments. So what are the options? So first of all, um, clearly, if he's disabled from working, he should qualify for LTD. But the LTD insurer, you know, has a legitimate argument. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be paying him, but there's a legitimate concern on their end that, you know, if you are injured or ill, John, you have an obligation to mitigate, to try and get better. But then you say, well, I can't do that. Where am I going to get physio? Well, there's a few things. Number one, there are OHIP clinics. OHIP clinics that are being paid by OHIP where you don't have to pay up front. 
The second option is, is that if you are battling an LTD insurer, if you go to us, for example, if I represent you and you tell me, look, I want to go to this clinic, they're close to my house, they're good, but I have to give them an upfront payment. Here's what we often do is we will tell the individual, look, speak with the clinic. We have a claim going on against your insurance company. Uh, to the extent that, you know, there is a settlement down the road, you may want to speak with your clinic for them to hold off on payments so that you can pay them once you have a settlement. Now, remember, whether there is a settlement or not, you're going to have to owe the clinic the money, right? So that's independent. But the point is that once clinics are aware that there is a lawyer that's representing the individual in a personal injury matter or long-term disability matter, they are fairly confident that the individual at some point down the road is going to have the money to repay them. So again, another uh, reason why when you're battling an insurance company and you don't have money for that, you come to us as an example. And as long as you authorize us to protect the account of the clinic you want to go to, then there you go. There is a relationship that's now formed. You've instructed us to protect that clinic's account. The clinic is willing to provide you with the rehab services you need. And there you go. And, and now you can get treatment. So aside from the legalities here, you yourself can actually try and get better, which, which is the whole exercise here. It's the whole point. Otherwise, it's a closed circle. He right. can't get better because he can't pay for it. And the insurance company says, well, yeah, we agree that you're disabled, but you're not trying to get better. <laughs> yeah, really? it, it, It's a cash 22. That's Big the time. problem. So you know, it, we'll be able to help Ambrose, but this is an interesting situation. What do you do in a situation where you can't afford the treatments and you have to battle the insurance company? That's the solution oftentimes. Come to us and we will deal with you and the clinic to make sure you get the proper treatments. one 990 is the number. It is help at ca. What else? All right. I have a, a very interesting case here. So this came from um, this gentleman. His name is David from Owen Sound. And here's why he contacted us. Uh, this is not your usual uh, accident. All right. So he's returning back from a trip on Air Canada. So he's, he's on a flight. He was asleep in the aisle. His left leg was sticking out in the aisle, just like you know most of us do when we're on the aisle. Uh, if you're over five seat. foot two, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. again, like you, John, who's eight feet tall. <laughs> nice. uh, so the, 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 the um, flight attendant uh, was uh, you know, moving with the dolly, with a little cart mm-hmm. there, with the drinks. Yeah. And you know, how many of us have been in that situation where you know, they, they, sometimes they warn us and sometimes they just, boom, you, know, you just feel the pain, the sharp pain in yeah. your knee or your leg. Well, that's what happened to this gentleman. Uh, it, it, it hit his knee fairly hard. And the thing is, this, this gentleman is older. He had a back injury as a result of a, an accident 20 years ago. And when this dolly hit him, he woke up with a burning sensation uh, you know, in, in, in uh, his knee. It's aggravated his back pains. Uh, you know, there's a lot of issues there. Now, he's 68 years old. He's self-employed. It's affecting his ability to work. Mm-hmm. They're doing uh, various tests to figure out how much damage was done to his knee. Wow. But what do you do in that situation? Is the claim against the attendant, uh, Air Canada? You know, how do you deal with situations where you are injured when you are on a flight uh, or where you are embarking a plane or disembarking a plane? I would assume be on the airline. Uh, so, so this is interesting. Uh, th- this is very interesting. So, so the normal rules of fault and damages and all that don't necessarily apply the way we think they do in a car accident. Uh, and I, I, I was first... Um, uh, introduced to this uh, years and years ago when I had a case 
And the defense lawyer, actually, on the other side, sort of informed me, this is going back about a decade and a half ago, as to the rules of what happens when you're injured on a flight or when you disembark and embark. So so get this, John. Apparently, uh, there is uh, the Warsaw Convention, Okay. The what? Worst, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, let me just read this one second. So, so here's the thing. In 1929, the representative of several nations assembled in Warsaw, Poland, and signed a treaty described as the Convention for the Unification of Certain Rules Relating to International Carriage by Air. That's a mouthful. The purpose of the treaty was to regulate in a uniform manner the conditions of international carriage by air uh, and liability of the carrier. So, under the Warsaw Convention on International Carriage by Air... Article 17 sub 1, here's what it says. The carrier is liable for damage sustained in the case of death or bodily injury of a passenger upon condition only that the accident which caused death or injury took place on board the aircraft or in the course of any of the operations of embarking and disembarking. That's us. That's us. He was on flight. He's injured. Now, in regular English, here's what it says. It's similar to the Dog Owners Liability Act. It's strict liability. The airline is responsible. You don't have to show that they were negligent somehow. Yeah, the you guys have to break show dancing in the aisle. It doesn't matter. They're got, responsible. You have to show there was an accident within the meaning of the regulation, which obviously was the case in, in, in right. the situation. And it's going to come down to proving what his damages are. And once we prove what his damages are, that's it. They're going to have to pay him. So very interesting. But again, you know, we hear a lot of things recently about airlines and how they remove oh, passengers. Right. So so very important to understand that if you're injured mid-flight or embarking or disembarking, you have rights. You can get compensation. Did he get a drink from the flight attendant? I don't know about that. I'll ask He's him. better. I'll let you know. one 888 is the number to call. Help at the insurance lawyer.ca. Lots more of the insurance and injury law show. Talk radio, May M640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. That's a number to get a hold of Savannah anytime. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Let's talk about the injury calculator. So that's an interesting tool. It's uh, anonymous. It's free. If you've been injured because of someone's negligence, car accident, slip and fall, anything like that, and you want to know, should I get compensation? Mm-hmm. What can I expect to get? Uh, you go to that tool. Uh, online, you input a few key pieces of information about your injury, and it's anonymous, and the injury calculator will comb through a legal database of cases where people have been injured the way you have been, and will tell you at the end, here's the range of damages or, or the value of your injury that you can expect to get. Remember, every case is unique, every case is distinct. The calculator really tells you, gives you an idea of what you can expect to get for your pain and suffering. It doesn't factor in liability, who's at fault. It just looks at the type of injury. Is it a broken ankle? Is it a torn shoulder, a broken hip, a concussion, brain injury, death? You know, things like that. You want to know what am I looking at here in terms of pain and suffering? And, you know, at the end of the calculator, when you've gotten the result after about 20, 30 seconds, you can submit a, you know, uh, a, a, consultation request mm-hmm. with me and then I can look at your case as a whole we can have a discussion if you're interested and I can tell you what your options are and remember in many instances what you're going to be awarded or given for your pain and suffering can easily be dwarfed by the other types of damages right so if you're a factory worker making 40 grand a year you broke your ankle you may be getting pain and suffering damages of thirty to forty thousand dollars, but maybe now you can't work for three years. Right. Three years times forty thousand, one hundred and twenty thousand versus the thirty thousand for pain and suffering. You know, this is why it's in, it's important to actually consult a personal injury lawyer, disability lawyer, people who know what they're doing in this field. 
But at the very least, without wanting to contact the lawyer initially, you want to know what am I looking at for my broken elbow, for this, for that. Go on injurycalculator.ca, put in those uh, this information, and uh, again, it's anonymous, mm-hmm. and uh, y- you'll get the results fairly quickly. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the email as well. Sean writes in, says, my wife has cancer of the uterus and has been on LTD. For just over two years, she got a letter last week saying that the medical records don't support her being off disability after August 20th. Uh, Their letter said that she can appeal the decision. There we go. Uh, What information do we need to give them for the appeal? All right. So first of all, Sean, forget about the appeal. I'll explain that in a second. But, you know, John, we've talked about this before. Because uh, I have personal experience in the family with cancer, Mm -hmm. it, it just makes my blood boil every time I hear somebody who is dealing with cancer who is being denied LTD. Uh, you know, for insufficient medical documents or anything like that. It just, it makes no sense to me because generally speaking, when people come to me who themselves or their loved ones are struggling with cancer, usually their disability or inability to work is, is it's predicated by a letter from the oncologist or specialist right. who are dealing with this person. So how can the LTD insurer be arguing against that? So, you know, so Sean, first of all, just off the bat, uh, the fact that she's dealing with cancer of the uterus, I mean, without even knowing much, I I can't imagine that she's able to go to work at this point. Uh, But in any event, she got a letter saying that uh, her disability will be cut off as of August 20th. If we have doctor's opinions that say that she is not ready to go back, then I consider this notification by the insurance company to be anticipatory breach of the contract. Mm -hmm anticipatory breach because they're essentially anticipating or they are breaching in advance this contract that is between your wife and the insurance company. And what does that mean in plain language? It means that once they have breached the agreement or say that they will breach the agreement, you now, your wife, has a legal remedy. That legal remedy is in the form of a claim, a legal claim against the insurance company. And you've mentioned an appeal don't appeal these. Look, do whatever you want. But my advice is to every client that I have spoken with, do not appeal these decisions. Rarely, rarely will you actually see a successful appeal. And even in those instances, it's because a lawyer was involved. Right. right? It makes no sense because you're appealing it to the same insurance company, the same people who cut you off in the first place. It makes absolutely no sense. Appeals, as far as I'm concerned, are detours. So if you want to appeal, go ahead and do that. And I can almost guarantee you that in six months' time, you're going to come back to me more frustrated, yeah, didn't more, more cash-strapped, yeah. you didn't work, a lot of anxiety, a lot of issues because you're still dealing directly with the adjuster and the insurance company. Let me start the legal claim, and you'll see how quickly they come to the table. Why? Because once we start the legal claim, the case now shifts to a different adjuster of the insurance company, and there is now a defense lawyer who mm-hmm. looks at it with a with a, a, a legal uh, uh, prism, which is very, very different than the way normal adjusters who adjudicate claims look at these claims. I know you get this question all the time. I'll ask it quickly before we break. And uh, can depression or, say, anxiety be grounds for LTD? Yes, but remember that it's not so much the diagnosis of the illness or the injury, it's the symptoms. So if you have such depression and such anxiety that they disable you from working and you're getting treatments, you're getting assessed by various people, psychologists, uh, psychiatrists, 100% you can qualify. That said, as you can imagine, insurance companies don't really, they're, they're suspicious of these kinds of claims as opposed to seeing, you know, an MRI type of an injury. But absolutely, you have depression, anxiety, one or the other, or anything like that that disables you from working, 
you should qualify for LTD. We'll take a, a short break. one 990 is the number. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of those coming up here in just a few minutes. And, of course, the injury calculator can be found at injurycalculator.ca. Find out what your pain and suffering, your pain and suffering should be. And then from there you can consult uh, Savan and carry on. The Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is a number. More of your emails coming up here in a few moments. Question though: um, So, if an insured doctor makes recommendations for treatment, does a disabled person have to a follow those recommendations? Uh, what if the recommendations made by the insurance doctor contradict or conflict with the recommendations uh, recommendations by your own doctor, or your treating doctor? What do you do? Okay, so so, so the okay, the, the general rule is this: you have a responsibility, whether you're injured or disabled under an LTD policy, you have an obligation to try and get better, to mitigate. And you often see situations where insurance companies come back and say, you did not fulfill your obligation. You're not trying to get better. So therefore, that's a breach of the policy because the policy requires you to try and get better through treatments. So what do they often do, insurance companies? They'll send you to one of their doctors for an assessment. And that assessment will essentially ask two questions of the doctor, or not assessment, but that request from the adjuster. Number one, is that individual uh, unable to work? Are they disabled? And number two, are there any treatments, rec- treatment recommendations that, that you think that they should be following? And oftentimes, they will provide those recommendations. And the question then from the individual to me, which is what you just posed, John, mm-hmm. is do I have to follow those? Well, my answer is you have to do what you need to do to get better. Now, you most likely have your own specialists. So if your own specialists are concurring, are agreeing with what the insurance doctor is saying, yes, follow those. If your own doctor takes issue with what the insurance doctor is saying, well, my advice, what I would do, I would follow what my doctor is saying because I've been seeing my doctor for more than just one time like I did with the insurance doctor. That said, my overall advice is, and it's both for adjusters as well as for individuals, why don't you get the two doctors to talk to each other yeah, figure and figure out. out what is the best course of, of, of action? Because these individuals want to get better. But if they're getting conflicting advice, then how would they know what to do? But you know, I, 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 I take issue when you have a situation where you have two doctors, one from the insurance company, one who's treating the individual, same specialty, let's say two psychiatrists, and both of them are suggesting different things. Uh, that the individual should do, I take issue with the insurance company cutting off the individual because the Mm -hmm. individual is choosing to follow their doctor's recommendations and not the insurance doctor's recommendations. Because the person, think about it, I mean, who would you have more trust in? The doctor that the insurance company hired to assess you or your own doctor that you've seen for months or maybe years, he knows your history. So I don't think it's unreasonable for the individual to side with or go with or follow the recommendations of their own doctors. But again, that said, you have to be very careful in how you deal with these. And if you're in that situation, again, call me and I can, I can direct you. I can tell you what your options are. But be very, very careful in, in simply saying, okay, I'm just going to follow everything the insurance doctor says because then, you know, your own treating physician right. may take issue with that and say, no, 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 you are doing something that is actually not good for you. Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Leslie writes in, says, I've heard you talk before about car accidents and concussions and how important it is to uh, make sure that the lawyer helping you understands them and what they mean. My daughter, 27, was in a car accident in November. She was a passenger, and their car was cut off by someone on the highway. It was a bad crash. My daughter's still being seen by doctors at Sunnybrook Hospital. 
when should we be contacting you about a claim for compensation? She's not the same person she used to be and hasn't gone back to work. She's uh, she's a nurse, so November. Yeah, Leslie, the sooner the like better. Now. Yeah, right yeah. now, and I would even say back in November when the accident happened, as soon as you know that there is a, a big accident, as soon as you or somebody you know is involved in one of those things, you know, the first priority is the medical help the person needs. That's the first thing, right, before anything else. But when it comes to the legal side, particularly when you're dealing not just with, you know, the fender bender and, you know, my back hurts a little bit here and there, you know, you can give it a few weeks, a few months even just to see if you get better. But if you're dealing with a concussion, which we've talked before, is a brain injury. I mean, Google the word concussion. Yeah. You will see that various in the Mayo Clinic and other, uh, you know, medical sources, they will tell you it's a brain injury. Some of them are permanent, some of them are not, but it's a brain injury. Now, this lady is a nurse, 27 years old. She's a passenger. So let's just back up for one second, okay? She's involved in this accident. She has two potential claims, actually potentially three, by the way. Two claims off the bat. Number one, with the with her own automobile insurance company for accident benefits. If she doesn't have one, then she's entitled to accident benefits through, through, through the vehicle where she, where she was uh, in. Uh, and so that's accident benefits, right? For income loss, for medical rehabilitation benefits, et cetera. The second type of claim is called uh, a tort, tort claim, claim, which yep. is the claim against whoever was at fault. It could be the driver of a vehicle. It, you know, it depends on who was at fault for the accident, and that could be a much larger claim. Again, in more serious accidents, I, I advocate, I say, start those sooner rather than later. If you delay by six months, then the settlement is going to be delayed by six months, right? So start sooner rather than later. Now, she's a nurse, so she may be entitled also to short-term disability and potentially long-term disability. Right? See how that works itself in? Right, right, right. But the LTD and the accident benefits and the tort, everything is intertwined. And maybe there's employment issues here because maybe the hospital she's at or the clinic is not going to accommodate her. See how everything is intertwined? Yeah. So, Leslie, make sure that you or your daughter contact me. And in a case like this, I would probably have one or two other lawyers from the office who have expertise in different areas. All of us meet together. All of us talk and give you your options so that you will see globally what your daughter can do and should do at this point and down the road. And that way, you and your daughter uh, will, will, will be uh, informed and then you can make the proper decisions on how to proceed. But it's a serious case. Uh, contact me uh, ASAP after the show and we will deal with this. It sounds like it could be a real hot mess, which is why you guys do both uh, you know, injury and employment law in one firm, one roof. Right? It, it, and that's huge. I, I can't tell you, John, I mean, you know, especially when you're dealing with employment and LTD and accidents, here's the thing. The more parties you have coming to the table to settle a case, let's say you have three, you know, part, three insurance companies and an employer and whoever else, remember, some of these damages, let's say economic damages, overlap between the accident benefits, the tort, the LTD, and everyone is pointing fingers at each other. So unless you have the proper know-how, the legal know-how, the legal team that understands all facets of the claim, you are going to fall through the cracks. Trust me, it's not going to be the insurance companies who are going to fall through no. the cracks. They're going to try and underpay you. But if you have everyone in the room on our side of the table who know all aspects of the case you are not going to fall through the cracks. And that's what's key. one 9646 That's the number you should have and keep on you at all times to get a hold of Savannah. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And if you haven't used it, the injury calculator, find out what your pain and suffering should be worth at injurycalculator.ca. We'll bounce over to another email. As soon as we come back from a short break, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. 
one 990 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the email. And uh, Jessica writes in to you, says, My aunt and I were uh, visiting family in London, Ontario, in January, and she slipped on ice at the entrance of an apartment. Ice in London? There's a shock. Uh, she slipped at the entrance of an apartment building. She fell hard on her left side and broke her hip and shoulder. Uh, I told the superintendent of the building, uh, about this, uh, about a week later, my question is whether that's too late. Can you help her? She's not doing well. She's 62 and needs a lot of help from family and friends. Hi, Jessica. So, um, no, it's not too late. Although usually I tell people that, uh, you know, whenever you suffer an injury like a slip and fall, uh, first of all, get someone to take photos especially of the ice. area. Especially on ice. Yeah. Very, very important. Contemporaneous photos. Uh, oftentimes, if you're injured badly, you can't do it. But, you know, text someone, email someone, call someone. Obviously, get medical attention. But if you get pictures the next day, they're not as good or persuasive as the current day because the weather patterns and everything right. else. Uh, number two, notify in a case like this, the way you did with the super, notify them or have somebody notify them sooner than a week if possible. It, this is this. It's okay if it's a week. I mean, I've, I've defended cases when I worked for insurance companies where somebody slipped in a store that I was defending uh, but they've only notified the store six months later. We didn't even know that the person actually fell. You know, so then you're starting to be suspicious. Did they actually fall on our premises, right? right? So contemporaneous notes, records, reports, these are all very, very important. The longer you wait, the more question there is as to whether this actually happened and if it happened where you say it did and the way you say it did. So very, very important. Uh, she broke her hip and her shoulder. I go to injurycalculator.ca. Yeah. You will see that the, the 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 damages, the compensation for pain and suffering for these kinds of injuries, easily six figures, easily. Now, somebody who is 62 years old, you said she needs a lot of help from family and friends. No doubt in my mind. In fact, this is a kind of case where you would have a fairly significant future care cost component. Oh, that, that was my next question. Who pays right. for all that help? So in, in injury claims in Ontario, uh, there are different heads of damage or categories of damage. There is pain and suffering. Uh, there is out-of-pocket expenses. Uh, there is income loss if you have that. There is future care. Well, what if you need modifications to your home? What if this lady now needs to go to a home, right, that costs three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 a month? Who Big pays time. for that? So very, very important that, you know, this kind of a claim is handled properly. Presumably here, because she fell where she fell, uh, we'd be notifying, you know, putting on, on notice, legal notice, uh, the, the, the building owners, uh, they would let their management company know, who would let their winter subcontractors know. I mean, you could potentially have two, three, four parties involved, which means multiple insurance companies at the table. Remember, this goes to the last segment's point, which is you want to make sure everyone is at the table. Everyone is going to point fingers at each other. You, you, do, you do not want to fall through the cracks. Uh, now, what do you do in a situation where you have a lot of family and friends that are helping you after an injury? How do you get them compensated? How do they get? Well, under the Family Law Act, right, a, a legislation in Ontario, uh, family members uh, are allowed to advance claims. They're called derivative claims of the main claimant. So, Jessica, your aunt... Uh, would be allowed to obviously advance her claim for the injuries she sustained. But you and other family members would be able to be named also as claimants here under the Family Law Act for the time that you are now spending helping her, providing nursing services, housekeeping services, etc. With respect to friends, that would be an out-of-pocket expense. We would have some kind of an agreement with the friends that if they are spending X amount of time, as long as it's properly documented, 
your aunt now owes them the money. So again, that becomes part of the claim. Very important to understand. You want to claim for everything, right? Remember, these insurance companies, when they pay out these settlements, when they pay $50,000, $100,000, a million dollars, it's not because they want to, it's because they have have to to. under the law. So for people out there who have suffered serious injuries, who have this, you know, gnawing hesitation, they don't want to be one of those people who starts these claims, it's up to you. At the end of the day, it's your claim, it's your injury. Clearly, if someone was at fault and you decide not to pursue a claim for damages, if your case, John, is worth $200,000 because you've suffered these losses and injuries and you don't want to pursue that, that insurance company should be sending you a very nice Christmas basket because you've just given them $200,000 worth of a gift. Okay? So it's really up to you. No one's forcing you to start these claims. But Jessica, tell your aunt to contact me or you contact me on her behalf. We'll set up a meeting or a time to talk. Trust me when I tell you there is a claim here. I'll want some more information to assess the extent of the exposure Mm -hmm. on whoever was responsible. But the injuries are severe and it's going to be long lasting. I've dealt a lot with hip injuries, shoulder injuries. We're talking about chronic issues that she's going to be dealing with for the rest of her life. We got about a minute or two to slide in this one. We'll get a quick email. It says, Sandra, I've uh, I've been on a long-term disability case that's been going on for over a year. I was cut off in April last year, and my lawyer's been going back and forth. Nothing seems to be happening. He appealed my cutoff twice. Really? He appealed my cutoff twice, and I've been denied each time. There's a shock. I feel like we're not getting anywhere. No, you're not. And I'm exhausted. Should I just let it go? No. No. No, you should not let it go. I don't know who your lawyer is. Listen, different lawyers have different opinions, just like different doctors have different opinions. My opinion is these appeals are useless and they make me angry because oftentimes it's just another way to frustrate individuals who legitimately have claims for disability. So I would want to see the denial letters. I want to see the medical reports you've submitted and I want to understand exactly what was the rationale for appealing the decision and not starting a legal claim. Remember, when you are appealing the decision, it's an internal process with the insurance company. Okay? They're not bound by any legal principles here. When you start a legal claim, you take it out of the insurance company's hands. You take it out of that adjuster's hands. Now there is a different adjuster, an adjuster that deals with legal claims, a defense lawyer. They are going to want to come to the table and try and resolve the claim. Maybe you'll have differences of opinion as to how disabled you are, for how long, you know, what arguments the insurance company has, have you mitigated, have you not but they have to deal with you. They can't simply ignore it the way they have been doing with all these appeals. So these appeals are very frustrating, not just for individuals, for me, which is why I don't do them, right? And incidentally, John, I just I should mention that I did try to appeal. When I first started dealing with LTD claims, I did try to appeal these claims, and I found the exact same thing, for the most part, mm-hmm. that my clients were dealing with, which is bureaucracy. Big time. But bureaucracy is crushed once you start the legal process, because then... It's out of their hands. They have to deal with you within the legal context. So they come to the table and they try to settle. one 9646 is the number to call. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca to send an email like that one. And if you haven't used it yet, uh, find out what your pain and suffering should be worth. www.injurycalculator.ca as well. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming up after a short break. Talk Radio, AM640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. Help at the insurance We'll get to another email or two before we uh, wrap for this hour. Question though: Someone's uh, seriously injured, and a family member has to stop working, like not just help, but stop working or, or fewer hours to take care of the injured person. Can they get compensated for that? They can for income loss. I guess would be on their side. Absolutely, they yeah. can, and I've had that happen quite a few times, especially with more serious injuries. So again, very important. This again goes back to one of the emails we received last segment. 
under the Family Law Act. And you know, people out there who are skeptical, Google this, Family Law Act Ontario. This is the legislation, section 61. It actually tells you what happens when someone is injured or killed as a result of someone else's negligence. The family members of the injured individual or the individual who died, mm-hmm. they're entitled to co- to get compensation for certain things. They're enumerated under the act. It tells you what you can get compensation for. And one of those things is income loss. And it makes sense. Think about it, right? John, if you were injured and your wife had to stop working or work less hours, and we can show that, right? From an evidentiary standpoint, there shouldn't be an issue. We can show pay stubs that yep. show less money because of this. Why shouldn't you be able to get compensation if you can? And that's what the law uh, allows in Ontario. So yes, if you are in a situation where a loved one has been injured or you've been injured and a loved one is helping you and is losing money as a result, and it's we can prove it, Help at the insurance lawyer.ca is the email address. Mark chimes in, says, I have a neurological disorder that has made it impossible for me to continue working in my profession. I'm 48 and was earning close to 200K. Hello, my LTD insurer has sent me to their neurologist, their neurologist, for an assessment who concluded that despite my disorder, I should be able to do other work and therefore the insurer says that I don't qualify for LTD under any occupation test. That's nonsense, and my neurologist has tried to explain to the insurer that I can't work at all. I'll be cut off at the end of June, so that's like days away. Can I uh, do anything right now to prevent this? Uh, So first of all, uh, this does happen, uh, that people are being cut off imminently. Uh, And again, I take it as anticipatory breach. I contact the insurance company ASAP. I try to dissuade them from doing that. At the very least, let me communicate with them and give them my analysis because, you know, I tell them, look, if you're going to cut the person off, the next day you're going to get a claim on your desk, a legal claim. It's going to cost you a lot of money because you're going to have to have one of your lawyers deal with it. Mm-hmm. So why don't you wait? And sometimes they listen and sometimes they don't. Of course. And sometimes they listen and they don't cut the person off only to cut them off a week or a month later. My point is we are now in a position of strength because now we are applying pressure from a legal standpoint on them. So either way, they're going to come to the table. Now, Mark, Neurological disorder, there's a whole bunch of them. You've mentioned that you were sent for a neurologist assessment from the insurance company. Their doctor. Remember, when you are sent to one of those assessments, who do you think is paying those doctors? Mm -hmm. The insurance company is paying those doctors. Now, again, a lot of these doctors, good people, they know what they're doing, but they also know who's paying them. And it goes both ways, by the way. You know, when I was doing defense work in the past for insurance companies, and I would see a plaintiff lawyer like myself now Uh, sending their injured individuals or disabled individuals to their doctors, I would always want to see who is that doctor. Is Mm -hmm. this a doctor that does assessments primarily for plaintiffs or for defendants or for both? Of course, if I see somebody that I recognize that I know works for both sides, in my mind, immediately, there is more legitimacy attributed to that assessment, to that report. If I know it's an assessment from someone who only does defense work, I think it's problematic. Same thing on the plaintiff side. Now, in this case, the neurologist for the insurance company says, Mark, that you should be able to do something other than your ordinary profession. You mentioned the any occupation test. Let's just make sure that the listeners are aware of what that that means. So in LTD cases, for the first two years, and this applies generally Mm -hmm. to most policies out there, for the first two years on LTD, the test is, can you do your own job? Period. Period. Beyond the two-year mark, it's can you do any job, any occupation, 
for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. So the test is broader. No longer the question is, can you do your own job, but can you do other types of jobs? So it's a bit more difficult to meet, obviously, because maybe you can't do your job, but you can do something else that is similar to what you were doing before, less onerous. When, when I have a situation where I have a neurologist from the insurance company saying, my guy can work in another job, and my guy's neurologist says, no, he cannot, again, I want to see what are the subtle differences. Maybe they can talk to each other. Maybe we'll get a third opinion. Either way, if my guy's treating specialist, the neurologist, is adamant that my guy can't work and give me a full rationale and tells me I've been following this gentleman for the last five years and I'm telling you he cannot work in anything right now, I will take that to the bank. I will start a claim against the insurance company and I am, I'm not going to say I'm guaranteeing you, I don't like to say that because there are no certainties in life, but I can tell you I am fairly confident that within months of starting that claim, the insurance company is going to come to the negotiating table And they're going to want to try and strike a settlement because they're not going to want this exposure down the road. They know they're going to have to pay. So, Mark, we can get in touch with each other. I would like to see a little bit more, examine the policy, look at the reports, both from the neurologist for the insurance company as well as yours, have a chat with you in detail, understand the full scope of your disability. And if it's the way that I think it is, we can get them to to resolve the claim. I'm not concerned here at all. Contact is easy now that we're going to wrap for another show. It's one 990 is the number to get hold of Savannah. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to know what your pain and suffering should be. That is uh, quite simple as well. Injurycalculator.ca takes about 30 seconds to go through the metric, and you'll get a number outside the back end. And if you like to, you want to, you can contact Savannah at that point. Any other questions you have, fightformyltd.com or mydisabilityquestions.com as well. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640.